Hello, shalom l'kulam. Um, we're up to chapter 12. Chapter 12 is sort of a kind of an end of a set, section. So I felt that it would be a good point to take a break. Um, we're now heading into the Tatisha Bhav. Okay, so there's a lot of very interesting stuff going on in this parak, and I will begin now. It, what's going on here is the Shmuel has decided that now is the time for him to rebuke the people, something that he hasn't done until now. The, the parak is divided into three basic sections. All right, I have lost a lot of my stuff here, so I have to apologize. Um, a lot of my sources did not come out the way I wanted them to. There we go. So the beginning is, it, it's kind of interesting. What we've done is we've finished getting Shoal set up as king. And now Shoal is set as king. We had a whole long uh, situation with Shoal. We started with him, you know, not knowing anything. Chapter nine, he goes for his donkeys. He finds the kingship. I find Shmuel, and he's anointed in chap beginning of chapter 10. He's anointed, and then afterwards he's selected in the lottery, and we have a whole thing going on. However, he isn't accepted by everyone, and this is, this is a drawback. So in chapter 11, which we did last time, we saw that he's challenged with the attack of Nachash, the king of Ammon, against the town of Yavish Gilad. And all of a sudden, we see Shaul really rising to the challenge. Something completely amazing that we didn't see before. We saw, we saw him, you know, looking the part, and, and he's a great person, and all the things that we heard about him, but we never saw him actually rise to the occasion. And in chapter 11, the people come to him weeping, and he he is inspired by God and he pulls out all the stops. Everyone comes to this war. Tremendous unity of the people, which we haven't seen for a long time. They go out and they, you know, knock the stuffing out of Amon. And people are so impressed with Shoal at this point. They're so thrilled and they say, give us the naysayers, give us the scoffers and we'll put them to death. And Shaul says, no, this is not a time for that. And in their great rejoicing, they go down to Gilgal and they renew the kingship. So it's kind of a strange thing that now that Shaul is all, you know, in place, we see at the beginning of chapter 12, I listened to you, Shmuel says, and I gave you a king, right? In, in other words, with Hashem's help, of course, I did what you wanted, and now we have a king. And now, we see here something going on. And let's just try to figure this out. First of all, the nature of chapter 12 is the kinds of what we would call in modern times, the retirement speech. Shmuel has been the leader of the Jewish people until now, and now he's going to be the uh, helper to the king, the spiritual leader, but the leader per se, he's not gonna be anymore. So he is now going to, you know, give his speech at the dinner, right, so to speak. Now, the question is, the question is, why is he doing that? So we have a precedent. If we look at the career of Moshe Rabbeinu, for example, we just started Sefer Dvarim in the Parsha, we're up to Parsha Beth Hanan. Really, the entire Sefer Devarim is Moshe's retirement speech. It's a review. It's a whole set of new halachas for going into the land of Israel. 
it's brachot, it's warnings. It's all, um, according to Chazal, five weeks before Moshe Rabbeinu dies. And now he's giving his speech. At the end of Sefer Yoshua, which we learned together, chapter 23, chapter 24, Yoshua gets the people together and he says, this is what I want you to know. You know, don't, don't leave God after I'm gone. Said, what Shmuel is doing here has precedent. It is the end of an era. Shmuel is the last judge. There will be no more judges. We're moving into a new tkufa, a new time period. Now we're going to have kings. So Shmuel finds it appropriate to have his say. Now, the question is, back in chapter eight, when we were told that Shmuel did not appreciate having a king, did not want to have a king, did not want to do this, why didn't he say this then? He, he's disturbed by what the people say, but he doesn't do anything about it at that point in time. So it's important to understand the connection between chapter and chapter. If we go back to the last Pasuk in chapter 11, we see here, you have this ending to chapter 11. They all went to Gilgal. They all took Shaul and made him king. And they made sacrifices and they, and they celebrated. Everyone is very, very happy. And now Shmuel gets up and he says, you know, I just, I have to talk to you guys, right? And the question is why? So the Bible offers what I think is a very, very um, on target explanation. And that is something for us to think about. Shmuel knows that the result of his, you know, forthcoming lecture is going to be putting in, into their minds you know, the idea that it was wrong for them to ask for a king. So he doesn't want to give a speech that's going to damage the kingship that he's just established. In other words, until the point where Shaul is universally accepted, universally loved and appreciated, and everybody is so happy with Shaul, until this point, Shaul, holds his rebuke back. Now he feels that he can make his statement. He can explain to the people what, what they've done wrong. And it's not going to damage Shaul as king. Shaul doesn't have to suffer because Shmuel is rebuking the people. So here, um, I think that would be first lesson that we should think about. And that is, and one of my favorite Ishnayas, Ezul Chacham Haroet HaNolad. Who is the wise person? The person who sees the Nolad. Now the Nolad literally means the thing that was born, but it's for us to understand that it's the ramifications of what we do. Shmuel knows that his rebuke, and you'll see at the end of the chapter when he's finished, that he kind of is going to like, you know, in the Yiddish sense, it's a schmetters the people. He really knocks the stuffing out of them. He's going to really give it to them and make it very clear to them what they've done wrong. So he doesn't want to have that, you know, uh, affect Shaul's kingship negatively. So he waits. He waits. There are times when it's correct to say something and there are times when it's not. There are times to hold your fire and there are times to let it go. And we all have to learn that lesson. And we all have to think if we're about to say something or do something that's gonna affect other people, we have to think that through. Very, very important. Now, here, right? Pasuk Aleph, he says, I listen to you. Shamati b'kochem. And now, now you're gonna to listen to me. And he, we can divide his rebuke, the, the, the part of his rebuke uh, this is one of the things that I actually, um, the sources that I actually cannot find that like topic there with the whole thing. It's harder to see it in this. But we have really three parts here. We have the main part, um, which is Shmuel um, defending uh, his own, his own um, leadership. 
and then we have him defending God's leadership. And the Malbim says, this is, the rebuke has two parts. One is Shmuel saying, you, why did you reject me? What did I do wrong? And the second part is, why did you reject God? What did God do wrong? And then the third part of, the, of this chapter is going to be a demonstration um, and some further rebuke, and that's how it's gonna play out. So the first part of it is here. He says to them, now, Zikna, the Mishnah says, is 60, and 70 is Seba. What's the difference? You know, Anisa Kanti Vasavti. Zakein, the Chazal says, Zesha Kanachachma. Really, 60 is about acquiring wisdom. Seba is the next stage. It's, um, you know, explained in many places as like turning white. And the age of Shmuel is really a discussion. So like, we'll just take a few minutes and talk about it because it's, um, it's important. First of all, when he says, I am old and very old and, and white haired, right? And I'm gonna leave the sons after a minute. We'll talk about them in a minute. I walked before you, I served Jewish people from my youth. And let's take our minds back. When did he start serving? He had just been weaned. I mean, he was two years old or three years old. He was so little. And really, he's actually served the Jewish people his whole life. And we spoke about it back in chapter seven, that he was wholly dedicated to the people. He went around. He made a circuit. He went out to the people. He was a Chabadnik. He went to do Kirov. He was out there. He never took anything for himself. He was wholly dedicated. And this is the man that you rejected. And he says, I got old. How did I get old? Your Barbados says, how did he get old? He got old helping the Jewish people. Now, the Chazal have a problem here. And I'm going to give you uh, a little bit of a digression, okay? The numbers in Sefer Shmuel are few and difficult. We have the, the fact that Ailey was show fate for 40 years, and he died at 98. So Ailey began his career at 48. The convention of Chazal, right? I'm sorry, man, my bad, 58, okay? If he started at 58, and Hannah died that year, and Shmuel was born the next year, that means when Ailey dies, Shmuel is 39 years old. Okay. Now we get, we don't have a lot of numbers to work with. That's the problem. So we, when, we, when we're in this, you know, framework of the numbers and say for Shmuel, we're very confused. So we have Shmuel, when Ailey dies, he's 39 years old, fine. Then we have this whole thing that the Ark is in um, Kiryat Yarim in Telstone for 20 years. And David, David Amelech, seven years into his rule, like he's ruled, in Hebron for seven years, he brings the Ark up, which means it's 13 years that the Ark is in Kiryat Ya'arim. And if those are the 13 years of Shmuel's leadership, right? So that leaves us, okay, 13 and 39, which is 52. Now, if, that we put in Shaul's leadership, then we can put completely get confused because it says in chapter 13, which is next time is Ratashem uh, in Elul, that Shaul rules for two years. If Shaul rules for two years, and there's only 13 years of the 20, right? Seven years of David's, 13 years are Shaul and Shmuel, two years of Shaul, that means we only have 11 years for Shaul's leadership. And he dies at 52. This is the count of Hazal. So how can they say, I'm very old, 52? Hey, it's a spring chicken. By me, 52 is a spring chicken, okay? <laughs> but if you take a look at the Mepharshim here, it says, Zikna Rashi says, alav. It says in, in the Gemara and Titus that he aged prematurely. What does that mean, he aged prematurely? Hashem said, well, if he dies at 52, people are going to say, what did he, he, he was a, he was a Russia or something? So I wanted to look, look old. 
The Ralbag and the Barbanel do not go along with this. And I'll give you the short version. According to the Ralbag, Shmuel was born before Eli became judge. A little bit, not so clear there. Sorry. Do I look unclear to you or just to me? You're blurry. Hello? Can You're you blurry. Me? You're blurry. Well, I'm clear. Something going wrong with my no. camera? It's okay? No, you're blurry. All right. Anyway, according to the Ralbag, Ailey gave Hannah the blessing way before we came at Shofeng. So that means Shol, Shmuel is much older. When Ailey died, Shmuel was way older than, than 39. So that's one thing. And Abarmanel has something which I really love. Abarmanel says, yes, yeah, Shol was king for two years. That's until David is anointed. But then he hung on for many more years. There's a lot of reasons why this count is significant and why it's difficult. But for our purposes, when Shmuel says, I got old serving you, he's either prematurely aged or he's really old and the count is, is confusing. Okay, so that's, that's what we need to know. Now, when he talks about his sons, he says, my sons are with you. So what does that mean, my sons are with you? with you for what? So according to the Malbim, you don't want them for leaders, but they're here if you do want them. And according to Barbanel, if you don't like them, you can punish them and they're, they're not going anyplace. And according to Matak, you can use them as judges if you want. But this clearly, they have been rejected. And Shmuel is also insulted on their behalf. Otherwise, he wouldn't mention it. But he's saying to the people, listen, just understand this. I'm with you since I'm a young kid. I'm always with you. You rejected me. You rejected my sons. And it's going to be a little bit more um, um, it's going to be a little bit more complicated. Plus a gimel. And now he makes his speech. Hinanu Anubi plus a gimel. Get up and bear witness, bear witness, right? In front of God, Neged is facing, facing God and facing his Mishichol, the one, his anointed one, which is Shaul. I have two witnesses. No Jewish uh, judgment is ever rendered by one witness. So we have one witness here is God and the other witness is the king. At Shor Milakachti, whose ox did I take? Chamor Milakachti, whose donkey did I take? At Mea Shakti, who did I um, extort from? I'll explain that in a second. At Mea Matsoti, who did I oppress? Umiyan Milakachti Kofu, who did I take a bride from? Aliminaibo, I'll hide my eyes from him. Bashivlachem. Step up right now, guys. Step up and tell me. If I owe anybody anything, and there's a certain power to this and a certain bitterness behind it, I didn't take anything from anybody. Now, we have heard a very similar statement, right? From Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I, I, I didn't take anybody's anything. When, when he's challenged by Koa, you know, if, right? He, he's similar. Now, there's a reason that this is Naftola for Parshas Kola. This section is Naftola because you have a similar sort of thing. We have, and this is something that we have to take to heart, our Jewish leaders are the really amazing ones like Moshe and Shmuel are the ones who are not in it for themselves. We unfortunately live in a generation where I think it's impossible to find a really selfless leader, a person who will just think about the people and not about himself. You know, I mean, I have to go too far to see politicians who are filling their pockets at the expense of the people and whose 
the entire agenda is about how they can make themselves powerful and how they can make themselves wealthy. And here you have a Jewish leader who says, I never took anything from anybody. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I never took it. What does he want from me? Right? And it's interesting that you have a Rashi by Shimshon. For those of you who are learning Shokhtan with me, Shimshon, when he makes his famous plea for strength at the end of his life, he says, Zachreinina, remember me. And Rashi says, remember that I was judged for 20 years and I never asked one person to bring me a stick from this place to this place. So Shimshon, Shimshon was also a tremendous Jewish leader, not in it for himself. Now it's an interesting comment in the Gemara that I want to show you. Right. <clears throat> The Gemara says, Rabbi Yochanan says, the Nevi'im actually were independently wealthy. How do we know? Moshe says, I didn't take anyone's donkey. Right? And the Gemara says, what do you mean? Maybe you paid for it. No, they didn't even have to pay for it. He, he didn't take anything. He was wealthy, right? Now, Shmuel said, right, maybe he took it for free, right? No, the Gemara says he didn't even take it by paying for it, right? And you see that it says here, and they quote Parakzayim, he took everything he needed. It's like if you're going out somewhere and you have in your, you know, in your bag, you have your food and your drink and you don't need anybody to get, you have your own stuff. And that was what Shmuel did. I'm a rabbi, right? Right, uh, and he says, he, it adds on the other things that we're gonna look at right now. That's even greater, even more than Moshe said. He says, I didn't, uh, take anything with Oshek. Now, the halachic definition of Oshek, okay, we'll, we'll give you the short version. Geneva is when you steal something sneakily. In other words, a pickpocket or a, you know, a house robber in the middle of the night. Gezel is out and out robbery. You come and you say, give me your money. It's open. It's public. Oshek is when you didn't take the money but you're withholding money that belongs to someone else. For example, you took a loan, you didn't pay it back, or you owe someone money for services rendered and you're not paying them. And Oshik is pretty common. In modern Hebrew, it's used more as extortion, but this is the halachic definition. So did I ever take anything? Did I ever owe anybody money that I didn't pay them? Now the word ratsoti, the actually grammatically it's from Ratzatz. Excuse me. Which means to smash. And, and he says, um, actually you might want to go from, uh, the Radak tries to make it from Ratzon. Ashakti, you know, uh, against their will, Ratzoti, even if they wanted to. But grammatically the root here's Ratzatz, it's a double. Like sabab, saboti, hanan, hanoti. That's the that's the construction. So it means we have an expression, hatov shaban hashim The best of snakes smashes head. It means did I smash anybody? Did I oppress anybody? And Rashi says ashakti with money and ratzoti with uh, physically, right? Did I did I do anything like that to you? Um. Okay, now, did I take any kofar? Did I take a bribe to put my eyes from seeing? Or perhaps he says, did I take a bribe and now I won't look and you can, you can take what you want. I, I'll give you back anything you want. It's a tremendous comment on Shmuel's tremendous uh, devotion 
dedication, everything for you. Tell me, somebody, he's got the whole nation there. Somebody come forward. Did I do anything bad to anyone? Come forward now and we'll deal with it. I'll pay you back. Pasuk Dalet. Vayomu lo ashektanu, v'lo ratzatanu, v'lo lakatam yadish muma. You didn't take anything as we, we, nobody, you didn't take anything from anybody. They right away say, no one has any tightness on you, Shmuel. Nobody, nobody thinks you took anything from them. It's a tremendous, tremendous um, affirmation of what he said. Uh, he was like the, the most perfect leader. You couldn't get a better leader. He's completely, completely selfless. And they know it. And they know it. And he says, he says, uh, <clears throat> I think something that we, we should know that there is a mitzvah called the Yitim Nikiyin, that you should be clean, in this case, innocent. There is an absolute positive mitzvah if you have not done anything wrong to make it clear to people that you haven't done anything wrong. If someone thinks bad things about you, you shouldn't let them. You should say, no, that's not true. I didn't do that. There's Shmuel coming forward and saying, I didn't do anything. And the people say yes. And he said, okay, if it's that way. So I want everybody to see, I have a witness here. God is my witness. And I have a witness, Mishicho his uh, anointed one, that's Shaul, the king. And I have these two witnesses that no one found anything wrong with me by Yomer Eid. Now, this, this pasuk by Yomer Eid has given rise to a lot of interesting comments in the Chazal. It's singular. He said, I'm a witness. So maybe, maybe that's taking the people as a whole and saying, the Jewish people said, we are your witness. But he's talking about God, it's talking about Shoal. So maybe it's talking about Shoal is saying, I'm a witness, and God is there also. But there's a very beautiful medrash here, which I'll show you. All right. In three places, Rebbe Lazar says, Hashem appears in the lower court, right? We say in, in Tehillim, it's Peibet, Elohim Nitzav Badat Kel. God is there when there is an edut of God, right? Hashem appears, and they, the three stories here, we don't have time to go into them in detail, but one of them is in the Beit Din of Shame, right? Which is the story of Yehuda and Tamar, when when uh, Tamar sends the simanim to Yehuda, I am pregnant by the person who owns these things. Yehuda says, Sadkami many. Right? And uh, so that's one uh, occasion. The other occasion is here where it says, Abatkol says, Bayoma E, that's Hashem speaking. And the third case, very interesting, right? The third case is with the two Zonot in the story of um, here. The court of Solomon, right? How did he know? Abatko told him that's the mother. Of course, we know that story and we say, well, Shlomo Melch was extremely wise there, but the Gemara, the Medra says that Hashem says that's the mother. So, three places. So now we finished one section, the first section, which is Shmuel saying, how and why would you reject a leader who was so completely devoted to you, who did nothing except for your own good? And now he switches gears and now he's gonna say, right? How did you reject a Kanshbaru's leadership? Because he sees the request for a king as a rejection of Kanshbaru and a Kanshbaru sees it also. Okay, and he's going to explain it now. It's a very strange phrase here. Hashem asher asat Moshe et Aaron asher helat avasech emeris Mitzrayim. Hashem, who 
made Moshe and Aaron, and who brought you up from the lands of Egypt? Now, you might think that this is the beginning of a, a further continuation. Hashem, oh, babe. And, but the next passing sort of doesn't work. And now stand there. So this passing seems to stand on its own. And it's a very strange passing. What is it saying? So one way of understanding it is just to put a, a state of being verb here. And many times we can do that in, in Hebrew. Hashem is the one. That would be the most simple explanation. Hashem is the one who, who made motion our own and took you up from the land of Egypt. And now we're going to talk about other things. What? What is this what's doing here? Right? And what's going on here? I think it'll be clearer if we go ahead. And now stand forward. Reminiscent of Moshe, it's Yatsbu at Yeshua Hashem on the Yamsu. He says, Now stand forth and the Ishafta. So we just had that in um, in uh, Yeshayahu, in, in a Chazon, right? Lechuna v'nibachecha. The Ishafta itchem is a kind of, I'm going to, let's debate, let's talk about it, let's get this out there before God. As called Sidkot Hashem Asher Asayit Chemet Avotem, all this great stuff that Hashem did for you, right? Let's talk about it. Let's judge it. Let's, let's figure this out. Is this, is this a, a, a right thing, right? So what does it mean, Asher Asah, right? And now he gives what we would call like a very short, extremely short version of Jewish history, leaving out some very significant parts, but he's focused on a particular goal, Pasuk Chet. Right, this, this telescopes several hundred years into one Pasuk. When Yaakov went to Mitzrayim and you cried out to God, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We had Yaakov in Mitzrayim for a good bit of time, and then power died, and there was some trouble, and then it took some time, and they were enslaved. So over a course of you know a couple hundred years, you cried out to God and He sent Moshe and Aaron. And he took them out of He took your forefathers out of Egypt and He settled them in this place. Very very short, very very quick. What what's going on here? So Rashi says, right? Asher said Moshe Aaron God made Moshe and Aaron. He prepared them for this mission. But we have to understand, okay, and the Bible does a very nice job here. He says, God forms the leaders, prepares them, has them ready, has them in place, on the spot, inspired and prepared. Hashem had Moshe and Aaron ready and waiting, prepared for the great mission. So that, right, I want you to understand, Shmuel says, let's talk about it. God was so good to you. God was so good to your forefathers. When Yaakov came to Mitzrayim, you had this whole time. Eventually, right? Eventually you needed to be saved. And Hashem put Moshe and Aaron in that place. And they helped take you out. Hashem fixed things for you. He prepared things for you before you asked. And when you asked, along came those leaders. The bottom line and everything that Shmuel is saying now is you didn't need a king then. You didn't need a king. Hashem gave you Moshe, gave, gave you Aaron. Okay? And then when he took you to the land, and that's a very strange, he, they brought you and settled you in this place is a little bit difficult because they didn't, because they both died. So maybe, maybe they settled you in the East Bank. Moshe settled them in the East Bank. Um, land of Sihon and Og, or maybe it's just an expression that means they sent you and prepared you to come here. But Pasuk Tet takes us right off into Sefer Shoftim. Okay, I'm going to go through these sukkim and then we're going to have to try to make sense out of them because there's something very, very off here. Okay, they forgot God, 
and he sold them to the hand of Sisra, the commander of Chatzor, and the hand of the Philistines, and the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. So the Mabim says there's two types here. When he sold them, that means he was very angry, and sometimes it was just they fought with them. Okay, now if we take a look at the three judges that have been singled out for this discussion, okay, Sisra, who was the judge who battled Sisra, right? Chapter four, chapter five, Shoftim, a little review for everybody. Devorah and Barak. Who fought the Philistines? Mostly Shimshon. Shamgar got a pasuk there, a, an acknowledgement. Who fought the king of Moab? Ehud ben Gera, remember? King of Moab, Eglon, the very fat man. And Ehud, the like, you know, the uh, fiery, left-handed Binyamin guy. Okay, so now you were given over, Shmuel tells the people, to three enemies. Okay, and prosecuted by Yizakul Hashem, by Yomer, and by Yomru. Right, this is a very interesting continuity decree. One second, we'll get back to Chatanu Isim. He azadnu et Hashem, we abandoned God. But Nabonat Abalim et Hashtarot. Right, Batatsi Lenu Miyano Ibenu and Avdeka. Okay, now this is really a Tamsit, if I'm a, a, a short version of Sefer Shoftim. Sefer Shoftim, if you remember, we went many, many times through that cycle. The Jewish people sin with idolatry, and then they are given over to the enemies, and then they cry out to God, and then God sends a judge. So here we have that cycle, right? And they cried out to God. Now, Redax says something beautiful here. He says, by Yomer and by Yomru, collectively and individually, there was tshuva. And they said, we sinned. We abandoned Hashem. We served Baal, Baal the male gods, the little statuettes, if you, if you Google it. They look like Mars, they look like Roman and Greek, you know, gods of war. Ashtarot are the female gods, the little fat fertility goddesses. We served all these idols, but now we're sorry. But save us from our enemies, we will serve you, Hashem. And Hashem sent Yerubal and Bedan and Yiftach and Shmuel. And he saved you from your enemies, from the hand of your enemies, from all around, and you dwelt in security. Now, here we have an interesting conundrum. Okay, Yerubal, does anyone remember who Yerubal is? Yerubal is the second name for Gidon. Who did Gidon fight? Midian. Is Midian in this book, in this uh, verse, chapter, uh, verse nine? No. Okay. And he sent Bidun. Bidun, Rashi says, it seems to be generally accepted that Dun, that Shimshon is from Dun, so we're talking about Shimshon, because we don't see a judge whose name is Bidun. Okay, but Shimshon actually stims, corresponds, right? Because here we have the Pushtim, and here we have Shimshon. But then we have Yiftach, remember? Yiftach fought Amon, where's Amon? You want to say Amon and Moab are in it together? You could say that. I'll take it. But we really don't have a correlation between the uh, enemies and the judges who fought them. And then we have, surprisingly, Shmuel. Why doesn't he say, and me? Okay, that's a very interesting question. The Chazal basically understand that he is, he's speaking out of prophecy here, and he's, he's using, uh, he, he doesn't even know that he's saying himself there. I mean, it's, it's very strange. And God saves you from all these enemies. So how do we understand these three leaders, these three enemies, and these three leaders? Okay, so it, we, the only thing that really would work here, there's, there's a lot of theories here, and I don't want to you know, spend a lot of time on the theories. We'll go straight to the thing that makes the most sense. The, the, the idea here is that probably these are our greatest enemies. But Moab wasn't really a great enemy because Moab, it says, God strengthened Moab's hand to fight um, the Jews. And Ehud is not in here. So maybe it's Moab and Ammon because they were brother nations. Maybe they were in it together. Don't know. But 
that's very hard to answer. Why Sisera, the Philistines, and the king of Moab? Because the king of Moab was not really any special tough enemy. Sisera was very tough. Plishtim were very tough. So perhaps if we put an Ammon there, we say, okay, we have three very tough enemies. And then we go to the, the corresponding judges and we're like, really? Yiftach? Shimshon? I mean, Shmuel, yeah, no, Shmuel, good, but you don't okay. Right, but we, we remember our assessment of the judges. We, we didn't really find Yiftach to be, you know, the paradigm of the best judge. Now comes a very famous Gemara in Rosh Hashanah. Comes along and says, now here's where I have a problem, and this is what I was busy with at the beginning of the shear, is because the rest of this Gemara is cut off in this version, which was aggravating. So I scanned it in to show you the rest of it because it's actually very um, significant. Okay, this is the Gemara Rosh Hashanah, right? This is what we just read. The three uh, uh, judges that are mentioned in this section here are right, Yerubal, that's Gido, Bidan, that's Shimshon, Yiftach, who is um, the three here we see here, and uh, the Omer. I'm not sure why this part is cut off from the English version that I had before, which was actually a nice clear one, sorry. The Omer Moshev Aaron Bekona Bishmuel Bekore Shmo. Okay, in Tehillim chapter 99, which is the last chapter of the, um, the Tehillim that we say in Kabbalah Shabbat, this is 99, it says, right, Moshe Aaron Bekona Bishmuel Bekore Shmo. Moshe and Aaron were God's priests, and Shmuel among those who called his name. And the end of the Pasuk is, Karim HaShem name. They called out to God and he answered them. Um, this is an extremely famous Gemara. And that's why I, I was sorry. I started the class a little bit late because I was, um, I, I insisted on showing it to you inside. What does it say? They take the, this Hasek that we've been working, these Pesach have been working on their Chazal say, why are we talking about Yiftach? Yiftach started a civil war. He murdered his daughter, right? Shimshon was very strong, but he was very weak, right? He, he wasn't able to, you know, um, conquer certain Yitzhaharas right, that he had. I mean, Gideon is he's a great guy, but he was, you know, started life as an idol, idol worshiper. And he's very, very hesitant. He's very unsure of himself. So these are not your, like, Devorah, the prophetess. You know, they're not Asniel, the big Tamachacham. They're not, and then we put them together with Shmuel and Moshe and Aaron. So the Gemara says, we have to learn from here that whoever your leader is, as they say in Israel, that's who you have. The, the Chumash here that I've had open for you, this is in Devarim, Parsha Shoftim, right? You will come to the Kohen, to the Levi and the Shofi, that will be in those days. So Rashi says, right? It doesn't matter if he's not as great as previous judges. You have to listen to him. And the they, the Chazal asks, what do you mean? You have to go to the judge that's in your days, those days. What do you mean? Can you go to the previous? I can say right now, 
I have a Shaila and I want to ask the Chavetz Chaim. Yeah, won't do me any good. I want to ask Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. I can't. They're gone. I have to ask who I can ask now. And that's the lesson of these, uh, of these, the juxtaposition of these gedolim. Here, it's very interesting. Doesn't matter. Your leader is your leader. And they're the appropriate leader for your times, even if you are having trouble with it. And he ends up, but, but the point is, you didn't need a king, getting back to the same idea. You didn't have a king, you didn't need a king. You needed Moshe, you got Moshe. You needed Shmuel, you got Shmuel. You needed Yiftach, you got Yiftach. You needed Gero, you got it. God took care of everything for you, and up until now, you never needed a king. A pasuket bet. But Teruki Nachash Melech Benamon Baalechem, I told Muli, Loki Melechim Rocholeinu Bashem, Lokechem Akechem. You saw a Nachash coming and you said, No, I want to have a king. But Hashem is your king. And that is the message. The message of this section is you didn't need to ask for a king. God is your king. So not only did you insult Shmuel and insult his sons, by the way, but you also insulted God. God is taking care of you every step of the way. Why do you need a king? You might ask, what's the deal? Nachash comes to challenge Shaul. But the Dat Mikra and Dat Sofrim both suggest that he was saber-rattling Amon. On the east bank, Amon was making noises like he's going to attack. And on the west bank, on the west, all the way on the west by the coast, the Plishti were making trouble. And that's when they said, we want a king. This is not working for us. Pasuk Gimel. So he, he's, he's summing it all up and saying, you know, Hashem is your king. You shouldn't have done that. And that's our most important lesson from this whole story, right? It doesn't matter so much who the leaders are. Now, we've gone through in Israel a definite crisis of leadership. I don't think anyone in the States is having a much easier time. And the bottom line is Hashem is your king. If you can bear in mind that Hashem is your king, having Emuna and a Kaddish Baruch Hu, whatever's going on in the wider world, in an instant, in a second, a Kaddish Baruch Hu can, like Shmuel's mother says, right? It can bring you up, bring you down, bring you up, bring you down. Who thought, like, what would happen when, like, all of a sudden COVID comes up? We have no idea what's coming, and we just have to do our thing. We have to dive in and have trust in Hashem, Amun on Hashem, and try to spread His light. And, uh, you know, the leadership is going to be what Hashem wants it to be. The heart of kings is in the hand of God. And Shmuel sums up. Okay, got your king. But nothing has significantly changed. This is going to be, now there's another one of these, uh, um, you know, English teachers despair because it doesn't sound, it's not a full sentence. If you fear God and you serve God and you listen to God and you don't rebel against God, you and your king who will rule over you will be after God. So really the then part of the if-then structure here is you will be after God. The reward following God is to be after God. That seems to be the conclusion. It's, it's kind of weird. But on the flip side, But if you don't listen to God, if you rebel against God, his hand will be against you and against your fathers. And this is really weird. If we say God will be against you and against your sons, okay. Your fathers? The understanding of your fathers is that they are like, you know, what, what does it mean here? So how do we, how do we, you know, deal with that? Right. So Rashi says, after God punishes your fathers, he'll punish you. Okay. But the Chazal say, right? Right. 
מכת ביזיון על המצר. Their graves will be desecrated. Terrible, terrible. Now, a, a story. Rabbi Sol Salanter heard a terrible story that happened in Vilna. And what happened was a very uh, rich man, okay? He was making a chasana for his daughter. Um, he, he had been a shoemaker. And he became very wealthy. But the, the old wealth didn't like this. So they, they despised him for being like, you know, the nouveau riche. They, at the wedding of his daughter, one of the people came up to him with a shoe, stuck it in his face and said, how much will it uh, be to, to fix my shoe? A tremendous, tremendous zilzul, disgusting display of arrogance. Because he used to be a shoemaker, you can embarrass him at his daughter's wedding. When Rizal Salanta heard this story, he made an interesting comment. He said, right now in Shemayim, the judges of Vilna of the previous generation are being taken for a new din. How could such a thing happen in Vilna on their watch? They were the Dayanim. They were the people who taught these people. What a horrible thing. Very interesting. Now stand forth and see this great demonstration. Hello. Today is the wheat harvest, which means it's summer, right? But God, I'm going to call it to God, and he will give thunder and rain. But no, you did a very bad thing. This is going to show you. And he called out to God, and God gave a thunderstorm on that day. Can you imagine? In the middle of it, where are we now? July, he davens and we get a thunderstorm. In Israel, it's unheard of. We did have some very strange after Shavuos rain this year, but we are still talking in May. June and July, there's no rain. It destroys the crops. What's going on here? Now, we did say that in Tehillim, it says, right? Korim Yanim. Shemuel calls out to God and he listens. The people were terrified now of God and Shmuel. And they all said, Shmuel, please die for us. We're going to die. We sinned to ask for a king. Now, finally, after four chapters, they finally say, yeah, actually, we shouldn't have done that. We're sorry. Don't we don't kill us, God? We didn't mean it, right? And all of a sudden, Shmuel, who was their granddaddy, who they loved, they all of a sudden fear him. It sounds as if they never feared him before. He was too nice. And now they say, Oh no, what have we done? He said, Don't be afraid. You did a very bad thing, but now. Stay and follow God and serve Hashem b'chol avav chem pasuk hafalu v'lotasu ki acharei atov asher lo yoyilu v'lo yatzilu hitohu heima. Do not go astray because anywhere you go, it's going to be tohu. It's going to be nothing. It's going to be useless. If you go astray, everything you do will be useless. Pasuk hafet. Don't think that God will leave you. Pasuk hafet. He lo yitosh Hashem et amo v'avur shmogazol. We've had this expression in other places, right? God will never abandon you for his own name, right? His great name's sake. Because you're his nation. God wants you for his nation. God forbid that I should sin to God and not pray for you. And I will teach you the correct way, the good way, and the straight way. But fear God and serve him truly with all your hearts because you see that he did great things with you. And I wanted to finish um, without going over time, but if you have just a little bit of patience, I'd take another two minutes and explain to you the sign. What's the purpose of the sign? Okay, this is a tremendous nace having rain in Israel in the summer. Rain is, of course, a sign of bracha. 
What happens if the bracha comes at the wrong time? Any bracha, right, done at the wrong time, done in the wrong way, cannot be a bracha. So one of the first things Shmuel is teaching them is a good thing can be bad in the wrong time. You might have been eligible for kingship, but not yet. It wasn't time, right? We say in Mishle, Dabarbi Tomatov, things have to be in the right time. That's one lesson. Lesson number one. Lesson number two. I might be old, but I got I got some good davening in me. I could daven to God to make a mace that's against nature in order to teach you this lesson. So you didn't really need a king when you could say, well, you know, we may not have that figurehead at the head of the army, but we do have our prophet who could daven for us. And number three, right? You acted against Hashem's hachgacha. You're trying to pull to you something that's not what God wants. This is what the, the sign of the rain in the wrong time is. Very, very interesting thing. It's as if, right, as you, the people might be asking, well, why did God give us a king if it's so bad? Hashem is saying, you know what? God wants to listen to you. God wants to give you what you want. It's like a parent. The kid nags and nags and nags and nags for more candy or whatever it is. And you know it's bad for them, but you know what? Okay. Take the candy. You know, I don't want to fight with you anymore. That's not good for you. So this is a chinuch thing. God says, okay, now you're going to see. It's not going to be so great. But then we learn the final lesson. Okay, this is an important lesson. Important lesson is, you know, a thing might be good at one time and not good at another time, right? But the final lesson in Pasachaf is, don't be afraid. You sin. But now, go forward. Go forward, follow God, serve God. It's over, it's done. This is a tremendous lesson for us to learn in life. We, we have to learn from mistakes that we make. We have to learn from the past, but we have to let it go. And we have to face forward. We have to go forward and do our best, live in the future. Now, it's okay. You made a mistake. You finally understood the mistake you made. I finally got through to you with this sign. Okay. You said you're sorry. Okay. Now just serve God and it'll be okay. And then he says another thing that's very important for us. Okay. God forbid that I should sin to Hashem and not daven for you. And not teach you the right way. And so we learn from here a tremendous lesson. If you don't daven for someone when you can daven for them. And this is true in, um, we learned this also from Yona, then it's a, you're a sinner, right? A person who is able to ask for mercy for someone else and doesn't, that's a sin. Shmuel says, of course I'll ask for mercy for you. Of course I'll daven for you. What do you think? They say, please don't stop davening for someone. What, what do you mean? Of course I'll daven for you. If I can daven for you, I'll daven for you. Because that's a mitzvah. I would be a sinner if I didn't. And I continue teaching you the good way and the straight way. And you have to remember what's the difference between the good way and the straight way. There's a lot of debate about this, but clearly there's more to goodness than we see on the surface. It has to also be straight. It has to also be well thought out. There's the absolute good. There's the real good. There's a lot of things we could do with this, but we don't have any more time. But he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm not leaving you. I'm going to keep davening for you. But remember that the bottom line is God has done great things for you. You have to serve him truly and have faith in him because that's the way we go forward. Okay, so um, sorry to keep you a few minutes. Um, that'll be kind of the end of chapter 12. And chapter 12 really was the end of a section. It was really where we, um, where we saw Shmuel's really going off the stage now. He's not leaving the picture. He's not, you know, at, at the end here, we're going to hear plenty from Shmuel, but he's giving over the leadership. He's giving it over to Shaul. He's given Shaul an opportunity to uh, prove himself. And now he says, okay, guys, I'm leaving. I just want you to know, I'm not going to be your leader anymore. Just know what you did wrong because they didn't understand it till now. 
And now um, we have a very, very powerful lesson by one of our greatest leaders. And um, stuff to take to heart from this parent. And Bezrat Hashem, we're going to start again. We're going to have a break now. Um, it's going to be, I wrote in the chat, August 1st, the 8th and the 15th, I believe. And we'll start again August 22nd. Bezrat Hashem, and we're going to continue from chapter 13. A lot of interesting stuff with Shaul going forward and heading toward David. A lot of interesting stuff. So enjoy your break, guys. and. And um, whatever, you can unmute you. if you have any questions or comments or whatever. Just so thank you. <laughs> thank you, Robertson. Okay. So I have everybody have a an easy fast. I know some today call. I have to say a meaningful fast. Have a meaningful fast. I truly believe that if you don't have an easy fast, it's hard to have a meaningful fast. So we can start with the easy fast. Drink good. My sister <laughs> tells me Gatorade. So drink your Gatorade. Have your grapes and your watermelon and your pasta, whatever else makes you happy. No good. Driving good. You too. And there's Rath Hashem. It should turn from Avelis to Simcha speedily in our days.